Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome back. Hope everybody's doing all right. Okay, let me get into it here. I have to bring this up. My apologies. But, uh, you know, the, the, the constant pattern recognition that continues to take place here is absolutely astounding. And I think that, of course, what's going on with Israel and Palestine and all that other stuff, it, uh, it really is fascinating to watch all of the so-called conservatives just, again, seethe as much as they possibly can and uh, get as angry as they can about wanting war. And, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. You'd better watch out. Yesterday, I was listening to talk radio for approximately, I would say, 20 to 30 seconds. And I just immediately turned it on right before I started exercising. And I clicked on uh, Chris Plant's show first, which I'll do just to hear what stupid things he's saying. And then I heard that, which I'll mention it in a minute. And then I clicked over on Glenn Beck, because they're on at the same time on two separate stations, where I live anyway. And, uh, and I, I listened to him briefly for a moment to see what stupid things he was saying. It's, it's astounding, the lack of, of real knowledge that these people have on history. It's astounding how they can gather their audiences together, apparently and get them all to just believe everything that they are saying. Now, here's what my hope is. My hope is that you listen to this, and you say to yourself, because it would be a wise thing to say, as an individual, say, I don't believe that, or I don't know if that's true, and then actually go and look it up. So I always encourage people to do that. You don't have to take me at my word. And of course, if I make a mistake on something or say something that's just not accurate, well, I'm going to do my best to figure out what that is and then go back and find the real answer. And I'll always try to do that the best I can. But these individuals, these people with these massive talk radio shows, are completely controlled. By the powers that be, quote unquote, and we know who that is by and large, and we know who cuts their checks, and we know what they say, and we know in moments like this exactly what stance they're going to take in an instant. We actually know what stance they're going to take before they even take it publicly. Now, here's the first person I want to bring up, and it's Chris Plant. Chris Plant is on Washington's Mall uh, 105.9 WMAL. And again, a quote-unquote conservative. But again, he's, he's Israel to the bone, as, as they all are. And, uh, you know, he also works for Newsmax. I need to throw that out there, too. Chris Plant's an older guy. Uh, and he, unfortunately, he's 100% wrong on pretty much everything historically that he brings up. There's really no other way to slice it. He thinks that Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy. Adolf Hitler's responsible for everything. And so on and so on. Um, he's not very well read. He certainly doesn't research anything. And he's a perfect example of, again, an old saying, which is you shouldn't believe everything you hear, and you certainly should only believe approximately half of what you see. Chris Plant, unfortunately, believes about every single thing that he's told. But if somebody challenges him, 
that's where he really gets angry. And he, he does. And he can go from zero to 10 on an angry scale pretty quick when someone will call into his show. And I've heard this, I've heard these exchanges before, and they're really fascinating. But people will call into his show and say, Chris, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill Kennedy. That's been proven. Endless documents have been declassified about that in a, in a very basic look into it without reading a Bill O'Reilly book. You're going to find out that that's true. And the moment that these people will call in and tell him that, because again, he says Lee Harvey Oswald all the time, uh, you know, he, he basically just starts to lose his mind. And says, well, prove it, prove it. Uh, you know, you can't trust these people and uh, these conspiracy theorists and whatever else. And, and again, in today's day and age, somebody like that has zero credibility. Again, unfortunately, he's just giving himself away. And essentially, all he does is just read and say things. He doesn't actually connect dots and think and ask serious questions. And uh, he certainly wouldn't want to get confused on the air because really he would get pulled off of the air. So I wonder, I want to. Focus in on one thing that he said the other day, which again is is typical of him, where he just throws things together and then says things and just assumes that people should believe him. He said the other day he was referencing a representative Cory Bush. Now, if you saw her face, you would you would know exactly who this is. She's from Missouri. She's a black woman. She's in the old uh, the, you know the squad or whatever the hell they call that. Uh, with Rashida Tlaib and uh, AOC and these other whack job leftists. Either way, Cori Bush comes out and she basically takes a middle of the road stance in this statement, which I'm going to read, which Chris Plant didn't read. But I'm going to read this and then I'm going to tell you what Chris Plant said. Now, look, I don't trust Cori Bush. I don't like her. She's a buffoon. That goes without saying, I think. But at the same time, she says a couple of interesting things here, and then all of a sudden, Chris Plant loses his mind, and conservatives flip out and whatever else. So here is her official statement, quote unquote, and I love how they have to do this. They make these official statements about uh, you know world events, rather than just saying, hey, everybody should think for themselves. Anyway, I'm going to go back to work and do what I need to do. So here's what she said. She said, quote, and this was on October 7th. Ironically, at 9.11 p.m., uh, she said the following, quote, I am heartbroken by the ongoing violence in Palestine and Israel, and I mourn the over 250 Israeli and 230 Palestinian lives that have been lost today and the thousands injured following attacks by Hamas militants on Israeli border towns and Israeli uh, military bombardment of Gaza. I strongly condemn the targeting of civilians, and I urge an immediate ceasefire and de-escalation to prevent further loss of life. Pretty innocent, thus far. She continues and says, Our immediate focus must be saving lives, but our ultimate focus must be on a just and lasting peace that ensures safety for everyone in the region. Violations of human rights do not justify more violations of human rights, and a military response will only exacerbate the suffering of Palestinians and Israelis alike. Pretty innocent thus far. Two more, very quickly, two more sentences. She says, as part of achieving a just and lasting peace, we must do our part to stop this violence and trauma by ending U.S. government support of Israeli military occupation and apartheid. 
I'm continuing to closely monitor the situation and my office is ready to support residents of the first district with family members and loved ones in the region, unquote. As a result of that entire statement, okay, and again, she doesn't want U.S. government support for Israel and certainly funding them. I don't think most awake people do. And I'll get into what what really is going on, uh, you know, what Israel really means in just a minute, because many people already know, but I just want to bring up one particular point. Anyway, Chris Plant goes on a run and immediately starts saying this. He says, Cory Bush is pro-murder. That's what he said. Now, based on that statement, that, that doesn't seem to be the case. He said, Cory Bush is pro-murder. Cory Bush is, what did he say? Uh, Cory Bush is pro-Islamic terrorist. Cory Bush supports the people who attacked us on 9-11. And that's who Cory Bush is. And then he says she's a warmonger and then goes into this long run about how Gaza needs to be flattened and the people need to be attacked and so on and so on. So the hypocrisy is right there at face value, but he's not even hearing himself talk. When this happens, you're dealing with somebody who is not thinking and can't think because Chris Plant is not a thinking person. He just talks. He just says things. And that's essentially it. But that was going on all day, and, that was th- and that's been going on this entire time. Let me give you another quick example before I get into Glenn Beck. Laura Loomer. Laura Loomer is a perfect example of a person who does not think, does not want to learn, and is blindly controlled by endless individuals who I'm sure are Jewish to some extent, and certainly Zionists, which... I'll mention that now. Anytime you hear the word Zionist, and this is actually coming from a video which I will put in the next war video, but it's a rabbi and he's talking about how Israel does not belong to Jewish people. Never has. Doesn't. At all. He says, we are a religion, we're a race of people, and we exist lots of places like lots of people do. He says, Israel is not our quote-unquote homeland. He says, the people who live there are Zionists, by and large. These are atheists. These are people who do not believe in God. So anytime you hear the, and this is coming from a rabbi, so when you hear the term Zionist, or someone says that they're a Zionist, just slide in the word atheist, because that's essentially what that means. That's what they're saying. If Nikki Haley says she's a Zionist, or Gavin McGinnis, I heard him say it, I'm a Zionist, that means you don't believe in God then. That's essentially what it means. But Laura Loomer, again, is not a thinking person because she's contradicting herself on everything that she has previously stated. Let me give you an example. She can't stand Ron DeSantis. Supports Donald Trump can't stand Ron DeSantis at all. She lives in Florida. She moved down there so she could run for office. She claims she won. That election fraud is is what didn't tip the scales for her in her particular district. She's run for office before. She's a loudmouth. You know, she's one of those individuals from the old Twitter days 
Or if you got kicked off of Twitter, then all of a sudden that became a resume item and a way to make a living is just yell about how you got kicked off of Twitter. Now all of a sudden, because she's a Zionist and says so, Laura Loomer now supports Ron DeSantis. Because why? Ron DeSantis is lowering all of the flags to half-staff in Florida because Israel got attacked and is lighting up the congressional, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the governor's mansion in, in blue and white lights in solidarity with Israel, just like the flag and the colors of the flag. Now, all of a sudden, Laura Loomer likes Ron DeSantis, just like that. It's as juvenile, if not more juvenile, than two grade school kids liking each other because they both find out that they both like tater tots. They used to make fun of each other all the time. They'd put gum in each other's hair. But, oh, look, he likes tater tots, too, and she likes tater tots. Well, now we get along. It's absurd. These are not thinking people. They're slaves. If, she, if Laura Loomer learned the truth, which she won't because she's a staunch Zionist, she would have to quit her entire profession. She would have to go work in a bookstore someplace or, I don't know, shovel shit in Louisiana for the rest of her life. She would have to do something else because her entire makeup is based on a lie. And let's not kid ourselves, she's an atheist. Period. She can wear a cross around her neck, but she wears a Kabbalah bracelet. I mean, are you confused? You can't do both. Now, this is interesting, too. And this is where you're starting to see the cracks. This is where you're really starting to see how things are starting to open up here, and people are waking up to a lot of things. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear here. This is not a Jew-bashing platform. That's not what this is. That's not what this show is. If individuals are Jewish, great. I've known lots of people, and I've said this before, who are Jewish and they wear crosses around their neck and they know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. These people are fine. I don't have any problem with these people. It's the individuals who are atheists who want Christians to die and spit at their feet or spit on them. And all of those ridiculous traditions like grabbing a chicken by the legs and bashing its brains up against a wall rids them of their sins. I mean, that's a bit out there, is it not? There are people that do that. I don't support those people at all. That's, you know, that's another planet. And those people are strange, and that, I think, goes without saying. But there are people that are waking up to the Zionist line and that control mechanism, which is why we are where we are now. And this is all deep state related. It's Illuminati. It's all of that stuff. One of the people who's really waking up to this is Stu Peters. And it really is interesting to watch him wake up to this. Now, the other day, which would have been Monday night's episode, I highly recommend you go back and you listen to that episode of the Stu Peters show again, Monday night. It was fantastic. His guests that he had on, one after the other, knocked it out of the park, told the truth about what's going on. It was an excellent one-hour history lesson. It truly was. And I want to play this audio because even Josiah Richwine sent this my way, and it's fantastic, and it was from that show. He sent me this audio clip, and I was, 
again, when I was putting this show together, I thought, well, I'm just going to play it from his actual show. And sure enough, Josiah sent it right my way. So I'm just going to play this. This was Stu Peters the other night from Monday night at the beginning during his monologue. It was excellent. Give this a listen in three, two, one. Right-wing warhawks love to say that we have this obligation to support Israel. Where did that come from? You'll always hear over and over again, it's because they're our greatest ally, but that's not really true. Israel has spied on American citizens. It has gunned down Navy personnel aboard the USS Liberty. It's taken some of our weapons technology and sold it to other countries. Israel has never joined us in fighting any of our wars. Now, Israel isn't obligated to do any of those things. In fact, Israel is a far more sane country than we are. They look out for their interests. They look out for their people's interests. That doesn't make them our greatest ally. Some Christians will say that we have a duty to support Israel due to the Bible, but that's not the case either. For 2,000 years, Christians understood that the church is the new Israel, the successor to the kingdom of David and Solomon. It's not some secular nation state that just calls itself Israel. And let's emphasize that, secular. Most of Israel's population is atheist or non-religious. They have ultra-liberal abortion laws. This is not some conservative utopia. It's not some country terribly friendly to Christianity. In fact, just earlier this year, there was a serious push in Parliament to throw Christian missionaries in prison. It wasn't passed, but even in Canada, they don't introduce bills like that. So that's the truth. This is not our war. Our position is the same as our position on Afghanistan and as it was in Iraq and Ukraine and Libya and Syria and every other war that Washington, D.C. is screaming for us to fight. This is not for the American people, and it's not the American people's fight. Every war that we've been involved in for the past half a century has made this country weaker and poorer, not stronger or wealthier. Every war that we fight costs hundreds of billions or even trillions of dollars, and they never led to the benefit that the leaders promise us. They definitely don't make us safer. No, instead, they just suck us deeper into never-ending conflicts that would otherwise have nothing to do with us. The measures that we supposedly need right now to keep us safe turn out to be the kindling for the next war in some other country. So these fake conservatives calling for us to back Israel to the hilt in this war are the same frauds who will promise action on our border and never deliver. They've been lying for decades, and they're eager to lie again this time. Just watch. We'll have one spending bill after the next. We'll be passing one in a month. Watch them do nothing on the border and instead take on even more debt so that we can send some multi-billion dollar assistance package to Israel. The only reason that we have to worry about Islamic terrorists at all in the first place is thanks to our endless involvement in the Middle East and our open border policies that we've created this massive Muslim minority in this country. And so now we have to worry that that might embrace Islamic terrorism. Bravo. Bravo. Couldn't have said it better. He knocked it out of the park. A hundred percent. Again, he's thinking. He's learning. He's on gab, too. And he's learning consistently, and he's connecting dots, and he does this. You can't be in a position like him, in the independent media, so to speak, and not consistently have numerous guests on, and also be on Gab, and read Gab, and watch documentaries, and read books, and be exposed to all of this factual material that causes you to think and forces you to think, and then go back to your show and not share what you're learning, and not grow and continue to wake up to the real world that we live in. He's an example of that, I think. He's learning. I'm not going to fault the guy for learning. That's excellent. We're, we're all learning, hopefully, anyway. At least we're trying. 
But that, that right there was excellent. He knocked it out of the park. Now, let me bounce back to Glenn Beck. Here's what Glenn Beck said the other day. I was running a quick errand, turned him on, and I thought, okay, let's see what Glenn has to say about this, because we know what Glenn has to say about this before he says a single word. Glenn Beck is a Mormon, and Glenn Beck is a Freemason. Which means, well, you know what take he's going to have on all of this. So, Glenn starts bringing up Adolf Hitler. This is the angle he decides to bring up. He brings up an Arab leader from the Middle East who went and met with Hitler. And they discussed a number of things. And it didn't have to do with killing Jews. That's what Glenn Beck would lead you to believe. But that's not what took place. They were talking about where are we going to put them? Because back then, in Germany, and all throughout Europe, 98% of all communists happened to be Jewish. This, of course, was a problem. And what was interesting was, is even Glenn said that. He even brought it up. Because he was talking about the conversation that this Arab leader and Adolf Hitler were having, and they were saying that communism is the real problem here. Regardless of an individual's bloodline, it's about, it's about communism. And so Adolf Hitler wanted the Middle East and, and the Arab nations to be Arab nations. Do whatever you want to do, but be where you are, and we will be where we are, and we will do what we do, and you do what you do. I mean, I've read Mein Kampf, and that's essentially what he says throughout the entire book. Sweden should be filled with Swedes. The French should be filled with the French. They should be free, and they should, you know, be there and do what they do because that's what makes those countries great. Same thing with every country around the world. It, that's a very difficult thing to disagree with. The thing that the, those two individuals agreed on was is that communism was a problem. So then it became this discussion, and this is where Glenn starts to throw in his own opinion, is he starts to basically say, Adolf Hitler slaughtered Jews in Germany. He killed them all. And then, when he wanted to expel some, because now all of a sudden he wants to, what, kill them all in Germany, but then expel some of them? So which is it? So again, he's contradicting himself, but he doesn't, he, he, he's not hearing himself talk because he's not thinking. So then he says that these two individuals were having a conversation, and then it became, well, if we expel them into the Middle East, what are you going to do with them over in the Middle East then? And the Middle Eastern le leader basically said, well, we'll do what we do, and you do what you do, and, and that's just the way that it's going to be, but stay out of our affairs, and we'll stay out of yours, and how's that sound? And they were like, great, that's fine. And that's essentially it. But Glenn Beck's just started throwing the term in, slaughter them all. That, that they want to kill all of them all of the time, and that's the way that it's always been. That's not true. That's just not true. As it turns out, and this is the history that, of course, Glenn leaves out, are the hundred plus countries that communist Jews have been kicked out of for a very long time. We're talking centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. See, he's going to leave that out. 
But again, Glenn has a very convincing voice. And I'm sure he has an audience that listens to him and believes every single thing that he's saying. But again, he's not a thinking person. Because if he connected dots, if he learned about real history, he wouldn't be able to utter a single word of it. Again, he would have to change his profession completely and go do something else. Just like Laura Loomer, just like Chris Plant. Stu Peters, again, he has a little more leeway. Someone like me, same thing. I can learn something on this show. I can make a mistake. I can go back, relearn, and then I can say whatever I want. All of those individuals with these huge contracts for the cumulus stations that they're associated with and the syndication and all of that, nope, they're all controlled. They can only learn so much. You have to keep in mind, Glenn Beck is the same guy who stuck his face in a bowl of crushed up Cheetos to make his face orange with he and his friends and his co-hosts to make fun of Donald Trump to then only come back and support Donald Trump and call him arguably one of the greatest presidents that this nation has ever seen. I mean, it's more than pie on the face, it's Cheetos on the face, and I, I remember him doing that, and that was a real thing. He's foolish, and he sounds foolish. But this is happening in moments like this, and it happens consistently all of the time. It happens constantly. Everybody starts banging the war drums. Why? For what? And when Israeli leaders, so to speak, or their generals, and even again, this rabbi in this video, which it'll be on the next war video, you'll be able to see it, but this rabbi openly says, look, the politicians in Israel are not, they're, they're atheists. That's essentially what he says. He says, they're atheists. These are not real religious Jewish people, so to speak. He said they, they, are, they are something else. And it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting take that he has. Uh, he even criticizes Donald Trump as well and says, you know, when Donald Trump talks about um, Jerusalem being the capital of Israel, the, the rabbi goes, no, that's not true. None of that's true. There's no political connection and there's no capital. It doesn't work that way. See, in the end, I think most people just kind of want to be left alone. That's essentially it. Most people, regardless of where they live, they just want to be left alone. Now, unfortunately, there are individuals and more extremist groups that want individuals wiped from the face of the planet. This happens too. And what we have, unfortunately, in our country is we're being invaded by endless individuals from all over who are not thinking people, they are reactionary and will do whatever they're told. I mean, look how far they came. So they're doing what they're told to get up and leave and come here. And then again, when they're given orders to attack us on our land, they'll do it. Again, this is not something that you're going to hear the likes of Laura Loomer, Chris Plant, or Glenn Beck even bring up. How many times are they bringing up the terms invasion that we're being invaded? They're not, and they're, and they're certainly not bringing any solutions to bear either. Because one of the things that people have to understand is, is who is it that is funding the buses that are bringing these individuals here and all throughout the United States? As it turns out, it's a Jewish organization. 
Now, are they a Zionist organization? Probably, yeah. So they're an atheistic organization, and they're doing whatever they can to move these individuals around. Because again, behaviors from history repeat themselves. Who owned the slave ships? Who built them? Who paid for them? Who brought them over here? Who brought African slaves that were slaves in Africa by other Africans over to America to be slaves here also? It's the same people. It's the same groups. It's the same organization. It's the same stuff. But see, this is the complicated gray area, so to speak, that the likes of Glenn Beck, Laura Loomer, and Chris Plant can't even utter, let alone learn. Because if they learned it, they'd be out of a job. And they'd lose their audience because everything that they've set up to this point isn't real. And they can't do that. They're very pride-filled people, uh, th- those three individuals that I'm referencing. Again, they, they're deathly afraid of being wrong. And they certainly don't want to be wrong on air. But let me mention this then. I put this up on Gab the other day. This is something that's been making the rounds. You may be familiar with the name Albert Pike. Albert Pike was one of the first Grand Master Masons. Um, of course, Masonry's been around for a very long time, but he was a, he was a Master Mason. And uh, one of the major heads of Freemasonry back in the certainly mid to late 1800s. And he wrote a letter here to a Giuseppe Mazzini, who was one of the heads of the Illuminati back in the day. And apparently on August 15th of 1871, he basically spelled out what was going to happen regarding three world wars. And he, he spells it out right here. So here's what he said about the first world war. He said the First World War must be brought about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the Tsars in Russia and of making that country a fortress of atheistic communism. The divergences caused by the argitor or agents of the Illuminati between the British and the Germanic empires will be used to foment this war. At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments, and in order to weaken the religions, unquote. He said that about the First World War, before it happened in 1871. Well, that's the way it went down. So this should tell you who creates these wars and why they do it. They're rituals. They're all satanic rituals to some extent. And these individuals, again, who don't want war, are the ones, again, usually saying that they don't want war, but anybody who's saying that they want it, that's the real kicker. That's the point. Those are the people you should be paying attention to because those are the people who are tied up with Zionists and the Illuminati and Masons. The Second World War, he said, must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences between the fascists and the political Zionists. This war must be brought about so that Nazism is destroyed and that the political Zionism and that and that the political Zionism rather be strong enough to institute a sovereign state of Israel in Palestine. During the Second World War, international communism must become strong enough in order to balance Christ- Christendom, which would be then restrained and held in check until the time when we would need it for the final social cataclysm. Well, yeah, 
that's the way that went down too, isn't it? And then third, the third world war, he said, must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the arbiter or agents of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam and political Zionism mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations once more divided on this issue will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm which in all its horror will show clear to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity whose destic spirits will from that moment be without compassion or direction, anxious for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Unquote. I think it's worth mentioning that when we talk about all of these particular things in our society that have been destroyed and are being destroyed, and then we ask ourselves, well, if they're purposefully destroying it, and they're purposefully wrecking it, and they don't know what they're doing, the people who are seemingly in charge at the local level, for example, well, what are you going to replace it with is always, is always the question. That's the follow-up. Take American schools. If you destroy American schools, well, what are you going to replace it with? Well, as far as the enemy is concerned, they don't want to replace it with anything. It's no different than the depopulation agenda. Same thing. Well, you can't get rid of that many people. If you get rid of that many people, you're not going to have endless things. I mean, what's going to happen then? Well, the answer is nothing. They just want people to be gone, and they want people to destroy each other as often as humanly possible. And I should say, if you can destroy yourself with a lack of thinking, then that's even better, because that takes no effort on the part of the enemy to actually destroy an innocent person because the innocent person is doing it to themselves with regularity anyway. No effort has to be expended on the part of the enemy in order to get a brainwashed person into just destroying themselves. And again, this is, this is what went on and has gone on in numerous countries throughout history for a very long time until, of course, somebody shows up and tries to make things better and root out the enemy. And that actually leads me to this, and I have to read this because it fits perfectly into not only what Albert Pike was writing there, which is very awful, clearly, but the control mechanisms were there on purpose because they knew that they wanted to destroy Germany. They knew that they wanted to destroy anybody who got in the way of communism. And this, again, is what you're never going to hear the likes of 
Chris Plant, Glenn Beck, and Laura Loomer ever bring up. They're never going to make these connections. They're never going to bring this up. And this right here is also something that Josiah Richwine sent me, and it's absolutely fantastic. Now, unfortunately, the author of this uh, uses the term Nazi, which again, that's not what the National Socialist DAP Party called themselves. No one in Germany called themselves Nazis. It didn't happen. But this is titled, quote, The Sex Reform Movement in Weimar Germany, 1919 to 1933. Here's what it says, and it starts off with a quote by historian Atina Grossman. They said, quote, The original birth control movement in this country before 1933 was closely united with a rather unpleasant sort of sexual science and still has the peculiar flavor of indecency. They said the following, quote, The so-called sex reform movement of Weimar Germany, 1919-1933, was dedicated to providing more sexual and, in turn, social freedoms to men and women. Its two major aims were to give working-class men and women access to information about and means of birth control and, a ref- and to reform, rather, the paragraphs 218 and 219 of the German Penal Code of 1871 that prohibited abortion and the help for it. It goes on and says the movement was supported by members of the liberal, social democratic, socialist, and communist parties, by laymen and doctors, by writers and artists, and became, at the end of the Weimar Republic, the largest non-party mass movement that include hundreds of thousands of men and women. It was composed of several smaller and larger associations on the local and national level that joined the cause and originated birth control, I'm sorry, organized birth control clinics and information meetings, movie screenings and theater performances, protest actions and large demonstrations. The rise to power of the quote-unquote Nazi party in January of 1933 ended the movement. Many of its supporters were persecuted by the quote-unquote Nazis and imprisoned or had to migrate. Now it continues, and I'm going to finish this, but what does that all sound like right now? Doesn't that sound like America? Quick thing about Israel, too. Israel's loaded with pedophiles. Tel Aviv is arguably one of the gayest places on the face of the planet. And I mean that literally. Rainbow flags as far as the eye can see. Sexual predators and registered sexual predators as far as the eye can see. Same thing here in the United States. Weird. It continues. And notice again in the article it didn't say exterminate Jews anywhere. It didn't say that. Because that wasn't happening. It continues, it says, women's liberation by access to birth control and the right to control their own body was not only the aim of the sexual reform movement, another was the recognition of all forms of sexuality, including homosexuality. In July of 1919, the Institute of Sexual Research, the first of its kind, was founded by Magnus Hirschfeld, 1836 to 1935. Hirschfeld was a German-Jewish physician and sexologist with a practice in Berlin and uh, 
Charlottenburg, if I'm saying that right, probably not, who had founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee in Berlin already in 1897 to to campaign for social recognition of gay, bisexual, and transgender men and women and against their legal persecution. The Institute of Sexual Research Education and, uh, I'm sorry, educated rather the public with the aim of a better understanding of sex and sexuality as a whole and offered in-depth education on the topic. The World League for Sexual Reform was a league for coordinating knowledge about the enhancement of sexual function. Hirschfeld initiated also the founding of the World League for Sexual Reform in 1921 during the First Congress of Sexual Reform in Berlin, which he had organized. Further Congress were held in Copenhagen in 1928, London in 1929, Vienna in 1930, and Bruno in 1932. That's called spreading communism everywhere. It goes on and wraps up. It says, The fight for a reform of the regulation of prostitution also emerged as a part of the struggle for sex reform during the Weimar Republic, with the aim to prevent the persecution of the women. While other countries were cracking down on prostitution by declaring it to be a sexual crime, the welfare state of Weimar Germany began decriminalizing it by implementing legislation like, quote, the law for combating venereal disease, unquote, passed in 1927. These laws required that doctors begin treating women who came in with sexually transmitted diseases, even prostitutes, rather, without persecuting them. It wraps up here and it says the Weimar sex reform movement did not reach most of its aims until 1933, but it changed the thinking of many contemporaries long-lasting. Most of its aims for a legal reform were not realized before the 1970s in West Germany, unquote. And why is that? Because who did they have to get rid of? Who was it that was elected by the people in Germany to get rid of this kind of degeneracy? You know the answer to that question. Now look what's happening in the United States and look what's happening all over the world. We fought the wrong enemy, and we sided with the wrong people. But it wasn't us, really. All the political leaders were all in this together. Why? Because they're all Masons. They're all tied in. They're all saying the same things. Even Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, again, Israel to the bone. Support Israel 100%. We need a bipartisan bill that we can fund Israel and do whatever we need to do to get as much money over there as humanly possible. Everybody's just being yanked around without stopping and thinking about why they're always being yanked around. It's the who, what, where, when, why, and how that always matter. That involves critical thinking, though, and unfortunately, it's in short supply. However, it's inevitable that the more that it happens, all of this being pulled in one direction or another, eventually people get tired of that. And then they start to actually ask questions and critically think. And they start to listen to other individuals that maybe they've never listened to before. And then hopefully they take what they've heard and they go and try to look it up the best that they can, wherever they can, 
old books is usually the best place to go. That's usually the tried and true way to, you know, find out what's really going on because they're cracking down on where to go on the internet. Now, you're not going to believe this, but this is actually a nice segue into education-related stories that I have here. And then there's a particular jab story that I want to bring up too. But get a load of this. The irony is, is absolutely astounding. And you talk again about eating humble pie with a shocked look on your face. This is from the Daily Mail, and it is titled, Harvard President Emeritus Larry Summers, who is Jewish, says he is sickened by Ivy League schools' response to attacks on Israel after 31 organizations said the country was entirely responsible, unquote. That's the headline. Larry Summers slammed the school's response to Hamas's terror attack on Israel. Summers said that he's never been as disillusioned and alienated as I am today, quote-unquote. 31 Harvard groups placed blame on Israel for Hamas's attack that killed hundreds. Now, why is this humble pie? It's humble pie for a variety of reasons, all of which are hilarious. Larry Summers, Jewish. President of Harvard. Diversity, right? We, we want diversity. We want illegals here. And what do they do? They hire all of these individuals from foreign countries. They bring in endless students, multicultural. They discriminate against white students. If you've ever seen a Harvard University, they're not a white person in sight. I'm not kidding. Watch one. I, I remember watching last year's. I even brought it up and, and played some audio from, uh, from last year's on the show. Back in the spring, it was astounding. Not a white person in sight. And now all of a sudden, he's shocked that there are people on his campus and all of these organizations that exist that are supporting Hamas <laughs> and, blaming, and blaming Israel and blaming Zionists and you know, blaming atheists for, for these attacks and for this false flag, because that's what it was. It was a giant false flag designed to stir up the war drums so everybody can make money on on all of the you know the war stock the raytheon stock and the lockheed martin stock which are all through the roof now and he's absolutely confused and can't figure it out well why are you shocked you invited it in here's another example here's another example of what happens again to Young individuals who are negatively influenced by this kind of degenerate culture that we have, and that has been brought over here clearly by communists and communist sympathizers and Zionists and atheists and all of it. It infects endless individuals. And I'm telling you, I don't, I, I'm going to take a stance on this here, and you may disagree. I don't necessarily think that people like this are born, I think they're made. They're made throughout the course of their life. They're brainwashed, and then they are, they're taught to believe that this is okay. And it has to do with this, and here's the title. Ohio social worker arrested for molesting 13-year-old boy she was counseling. Now again, this is from the Gateway Pundit. We know the stance that the Gateway Pundit takes on you know, the conflict in the Middle East and whatever, because unfortunately they're a part of it. But with that aside for just a minute, I just want to get to the story here. You've got a Peyton Shrine, or Shires, rather. Peyton Shires, 24 years old, has been charged with one count of sexual conduct with a minor. 
says the incidents are said to have taken place in September, shortly after she received her social work license in June. Now let's just ask ourselves a question here. What is it in society that sexualizes young people? Whether they be in their 20s, in their teens, whatever. It's practically everything, is it not? These young individuals are told that if they have a YouTube account and they show a little bit of skin and they shake their ass and they do whatever they, they want to do on YouTube, then they're all of a sudden going to become millionaires or they're going to make all kinds of money. This is ingrained in the minds of American youth and worldwide youth, practically, again, worldwide. I mean, it's all over the place. It's constant. And it's disgusting, and it's degenerate, and it's, and it's purposeful brainwashing. It's really no different than the invention of the word selfie and taking pictures of yourself and then putting them online to receive some kind of a reaction from the public. The more skin you show, the more reaction you receive. You get that dopamine hit, and then all of a sudden you start to think, well, this is what I should do because, look, people like me, and this is the kind of attention I can receive, and so on and so on. But the business of social work and the business of American K-12 education and even university-level education is not free, as we know, clearly, from that kind of degenerate mindset and the individuals who work in those professions and taking advantage of people. But in their heads, they don't think that it's taking advantage of anyone. Just like, again, walking past a school teacher's classroom and they have a rainbow flag outside of their door. They don't know the harm that they're doing to people, let alone themselves. Not a clue. They normalize it. They think, well, what's the problem? So it goes on here, and it says the Myrtle Beach Online reports the following, quote, the boy's mom, the 13-year-old, told police that she saw text messages between him and Shires, the female, who is, again, 24 years old. Court records say that in the texts, Shires asks the boy if he deleted videos and if his mom had seen the videos or their messages, WCMH reported. After reading the texts, the mother was concerned. She gave the phone to investigators, and when they searched it, they say that they found a video of Shires and the boy engaging in sex acts. Again, taping it. All of this, all this taping stuff. It's astounding that people do this. Police say that the boy told them that they had engaged in sex acts at least twice. On a call with investigators and the boy's mom, police say Shires admitted to engaging in sexual acts with the boy, according to WBNS. Uh, Shires previously worked for the National Youth Advocate Program. Quote, protecting children is everyone's responsibility. Uh, the National Youth Advo Advocate Program is saddened by the situation involving one of our former employees and a young person served by our organization and blah, 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 blah. They were booked into Franklin County Jail, which is the Columbus Jail, uh, on October 6th, and has been given a $500,085 bond. She's scheduled to appear in court again on October 16th. So she's finished. 
She will be a registered sex offender, among other things, and there you have it. But again, she thought to herself, well, what's the harm? He consented. Yes, I was older. Yes, they were a minor. But what's the problem? It's that mind frame that is being normalized on numerous platforms in our society and culture. And then a thinking person would have to say, who's responsible for that? It's been said in numerous memes also, in particular on Gab. They'll say, so let me get this straight. You can suspend somebody on Twitter or X or whatever the hell you want to call it. Huge mistake calling it X, but whatever. You can suspend somebody on that, pro, uh, on that platform for saying something that somebody is, uh, that, that is deemed quote-unquote anti-Semitic. And if they have a larger following and lots of eyes on them, well, then we can, we can get rid of it. But you can't get rid of pornography. You can't get rid of sexual predators. You can't get rid of that. And again, the whole time that Jack Dorsey was there, that was, that was what those sites were. Same thing with Instagram. Instagram is softcore pornography. That's basically all it is. Facebook isn't any different, and they're owned by the same group. They're owned by the same people and the same company. But who runs them? Who funds them? And who keeps them going to continue to be degenerate and destroy society and destroy the young minds that exist, certainly in America? Who keeps that going? We know the answer to that. But again, the likes of Chris Plant and Glenn Beck and Laura Loomer, they don't want to bring that up because all roads lead to the same exit. They don't ever want to bring that up. There's this too, ties right in. This is from WND.com. It is titled, Elementary Schools in Blue City Force Five-Year-Olds to Celebrate National Coming Out Day. This is Los Angeles. As I said on Gab, it should be national walk-away-from-American K-12 schools, public, private, and charter, permanently day. That's what it should be called, but it won't be. Because again, this kind of degenerate behavior has been normalized now to the point where American school teachers think that this is okay, think that this is normal. And they, they don't stop and think and ask questions. You've heard me bring this up too, and, I'll, and I'm going to say it again before I read through this because it's disgusting, but what kind of a person now wants to be a school teacher? What kind of a person wants to remain a school teacher? There is only one answer, and it has to be someone who is okay with child abuse. That's it. That's it. Eventually, a person's conscience would catch up with them. You've heard me say it a thousand times that if I was still a school teacher during the mask wearing, that would have been the last straw. As it turns out for me, the last straw was simply watching the sexual grooming of children and their physical abuse and then at the hands of employees, and then, of course, administrators covering it up. That was enough for me. And shit, I saw that going on for far too long. And then when I started, of course, to do the right thing, which I was contractually and legally obligated to do, no one flipping helped me. 
and I was on an island. And I thought to myself, holy shit, if I'm on an island on this issue all those years ago, how many other people are on the same island in the same profession? As it turns out, it was a lot. That's why the business is crumbling. But to tie it back even to Albert Pike's letter, what do they want to replace the business with? Well, the answer is nothing. That's why people have to leave the business. That's why people have to homeschool their children. Teach them how to read from a, from a young age and write at a young age, and then they're off and running on their own, and they won't even need you around. They'll need you around to, of course, do the day-in and day-out things that you can do, but they can explain to you what, what it is that they're learning. And they can make real-life connections, again, between the Bible and what's going on in the real world. But this right here, ladies and gentlemen, this coming-out day nonsense, this is them taking another step forward in their direction in this communistic, Zionistic, atheistic, uh, satanic agenda. Because when we give them an inch, they take a mile. And when they take a mile, they'll take the whole flipping playing field. And they already have it. They already have it. I mean, this kind of stuff disgusts me so much that I was watching a video the other day from the local high school that, you know, these TV production classes that get promoted and they go around and they interview teachers and whatever. If you want to watch Brainwash Society, talk with an American K-12 school teacher. Just talk with them. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. And many of them, again, are middle-aged and older adults. And these students are walking around and they're asking these particular teachers about particular things. And right behind one of them is a rainbow flag right outside of her door. Immediately disgusting. And of course, that's everywhere. I know that's not new. I know that that's everywhere. AJ Gocek even sent me a picture again of a a rainbow flag below an American flag on a flagpole outside of uh, an elementary school in California. You know, it's everywhere. That, that kind of stuff is everywhere. Unless, again, a particular school district has a policy on doing that or they, they think that it'll bring negative attention and they don't want the negative attention or it'll bring backlash or whatever. But putting the rainbow flags outside of people's doors, why? Why? These are brainwashed tools. They have no idea what they're doing, what they're advocating for, because that's the profession. So here we go. Los Angeles. National Coming Out Day starts on October 9th, so we're already in it, and it will end on October 13th, which means what in the hell is going on in these buildings during that time? It says, among these celebrations, quote-unquote, where an identity map, quote-unquote, activity, that is aimed at teaching students to think critically about identity and intersectionality, says the Daily Mail. It says the Los Angeles Unified School District Board of Education sent a Week of Action Toolkit elementary to elementary school teachers in the district with, with the toolkit outlining lesson plans and the district that the district rather deems appropriate for elementary age students regarding LGBT topics. No, none of it is appropriate. All of it is degenerate. All of it is a part of the plan to destroy our country. And these people are destroying, as you've heard me say, their own professions on a day-in and day-out basis. 
And then, of course, they're going to be destroying their own country. Because you can't have a country if you don't have morally sound people. If you have degenerate people, you have no country. So where are we now? It's a tough one. This is a tough one. And it's hard to watch. Because again, you're watching individuals not know what they're doing. We were selected clearly. God clearly selected us to be awake, to pull us out of the grind, and and to be able to see things from a one million foot view so that we could see the larger picture. We know what it is. We've been inquisitive most of our lives. We didn't fall for the peer pressure all of the time. We didn't go with the crowd. These are the kinds of personalities of those individuals that are awake today. But the individuals that went along to get along, licked boots, kissed ass, and did all of that stuff, these are the people that are still brainwashed, by and large. Can't be all of them. That'd be mathematically impossible. But we are certainly a personality type. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. So here's where I want to move this now. Now I want to bring up jab-related stuff. And the other day, I was thinking to myself the following, and this, I only have one subject here regarding the jabs, and it's, a, it's, it's something that I don't think I've brought up, although I've hit on it in numerous episodes uh, with regularity, but it's, it's, it's way more specific, I think. And, uh, and I had to look this up because I had too many questions. The question that popped into my mind was, which again was probably God saying, Sean, you need to cover this because it's, it's interesting and certainly worth a discussion. It had to do with the question of jab-related exemptions that people filled out, in particular at the college and university level. So the thought that entered my mind was, what percentage of people fell for the the mandatory jabs back in the fall of 2021 and then what percentage of individuals filled out the exemptions and that question alone raises more questions and one of them is the following of the individuals who filled out the exemptions and I'm specifically again well I guess we can talk about anybody it can be professors and you know the working staff and the maintenance staff and and the you know the dining hall workers and anybody who works on a college or university campus of course including students of all of them what percentage would fill out the exemptions but more importantly what percentage would know that the exemptions existed and wouldn't that by default mean that if a person was filling out an exemption that they were awake as to what was going on and what was taking place. And then, what percentage of those exemptions were actually being accepted? See, lots of different questions here. So, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to bring this up in order the best I can kind of one more time here before I dive into one particular document that I found that might provide some solutions or or some answers to this question. When the exemptions came out, this was usually something that was pretty much unheard of. I'm not saying that medical exemptions didn't exist in the past. There have always been exemptions that have existed to not participate in this, that, or the other. Certainly as a school teacher, 
one of the larger exemptions that existed had to do with parents filling out exemptions for their children regarding physical education, that they wouldn't want their children to have physical education for a variety of reasons. And it made complete sense, and I was a supporter of it, uh, because physical education was becoming a little bit more degenerate, and it was becoming violent, and it was becoming a number of other things. Didn't used to be that way, of course. Back in the day, everybody did what they were told to do. It was a more civil society. And uh, if you ever watch all the old footage of physical education back in the certainly mid-1900s, I mean the 20th century basically, you, you, you see students that are absolutely jacked up. I mean, they're totally ripped, the men and the women. Everybody's in shape, uh, not an overweight person in sight. I mean, th- that was back when physical education was a real thing. It's not that way anymore. So, of course, there would be a lot of exemptions when I was a school teacher because, again, either people had physical ailments that, that kept them from doing that or they just didn't want to get screwed with, which made complete sense too. Um, either way, when it comes to the COVID jabs back in 2021 and the exemptions, if a person, again, was filling out an exemption, almost by default, that would mean that they would have to be awake that they would have to know what was going on, or at the very least, view this as being suspicious. Now, today, someone would say, well, Sean, they don't have those exemptions anymore at the college and university level, by and large, because they're not requiring the shots anymore, by and large. There are still plenty of universities and colleges that are requiring the shots. It just so happens that most of them are in California. But even with that aside, The exemptions still do exist, in particular in the nursing profession and within doctor offices and hospital settings. This is a thing. But again, that led me to look up on the internet to see if I could find any surveys or any documents that specifically talk about the the shot taking specifically at the college level and then who opted in who opted out how many shots did people take and then what are you know what what were their thoughts again on the business of exemptions now here's the thing this document is titled national survey of college student covid-19 vaccination uptake attitudes experiences and intentions and this is dated september of 2022 this document is uh is awful because what it does is is it reiterates the fact that they think that the covid vaccines are safe not vaccines bioweapons they're all bioweapons sorry you get what i'm saying they actually stress that so here's what it says in fact i'm just going to read the table of contents quickly and then i'll get into some of the meat of this the first chapter is covid-19 vaccine uptake uptake and intentions It says uptake intentions, specifically boosters. Chapter two is predicting COVID-19 vaccine uptake, other related attitudes and experiences. Chapter three is campus policies, mask requirements. Chapter four is healthcare access, student health centers. Chapter five is information and trusted sources. Chapter six is attitudes and intentions toward other vaccines. And then chapter seven is conclusions and recommendations. Now, Here's what it says in the foreword. It says, as co-chairs of ACHA's Campus COVID-19 Vaccination and Mitigation Initiative Advisory Committee, 
We recognize the continued importance of vaccination in reducing the impact of COVID-19 on our campuses, their communities, our country, and the globe. Now, I'm going to stop it there very quickly before I get into the bullet points. They're the enemy. We know this. They're blindly following without thinking. They think that these are saving lives when clearly they're killing copious amounts of people. Walk around a college campus. Look how few people are there now. And the percentages that they actually expose in this survey give away why we are seeing approximately half of what we used to see. So here's what it says in the three bullet points of this forward. It says, quote, Campus leadership should clearly and consistently convey the safety of COVID-19 vaccines and the importance of vaccination to the health and well-being of the campus and community to students and their families. That's basically a direct order from the murderers that are controlling all of this. Keep telling people it's saving lives. When it isn't, it's killing the people who take it. The next one is vaccine requirements are a key predictor of vaccine uptake, as is the perception that vaccination is a community responsibility. Commune, communism, responsibility of communism. It says a large majority of students also reported feeling safer on campus because of these policies. And then finally it says, Students who use College Health Center services rate them positively on giving clear health information, reinforcing the importance of including college health professionals in developing and delivering COVID-19 messaging. We encourage you to review the details of this report to inform your future work around COVID-19 vaccination and mitigation strategies on your campuses. Now here's some of the meat and potatoes. And this is rather incredible. Here's the so-called percentage breakdown of the individuals who took the shots based on where they sit within the college, uh, you know, within their colleges. What, What grade level are they in, so to speak? So this can give us an indication as to what percentage then filled out exemptions, which then begs the question of those exemptions that were filled out, what percentage were accepted and what percentage were denied. We have to keep this big thing in mind, though. The mere presence of vaccination, quote-unquote, COVID exemptions, implies that they had a legal responsibility to do it because there was emergency use authorization. However, there isn't a single college campus or university campus in America that wanted anybody to fill out an exemption. They didn't want anybody to. They wanted everybody to take these shots. They wanted everybody to be inoculated because they believed that being inoculated with this was going to save everybody's life. So the mere presence of an exemption is a bad idea when it comes to the enemy's plans, which means why would the enemy accept exemptions? They wouldn't want to. But they would have to legally for some, but not others. And as we know, they were discriminating against numerous individuals. They were using discretion when it came to which ones they were accepting and which ones they weren't. But it's the 
percentages of the people who took the jabs, which actually show us how few exemptions were filled out and how probably even fewer were accepted. So here's what it says regarding the uptake of the jabs. It says this, it says, More than 18 months into the vaccination effort, demographic and regional differences persist. Among them, and here are the bullet points, it says graduate students are more apt to be vaccinated, 93%, compared with 87% of undergraduates at four-year colleges and 75% at two-year colleges. Political divisions reflect those in the public at large. Uptake reaches 95% among students who identify themselves as liberals and 94% among Democrats versus 84% among independents and moderates alike and 70% among Republicans and conservatives. It then breaks it down regionally and it says uptake is especially high among students in the Northeast, 96%, where campus vaccine requirements are especially prevalent. It says that compares with 85% uptake in the West, 84% in the Midwest, and 80% in the South. And then it says by race, it breaks it down. Uh, 86% of Hispanic students have received at least one dose. 84% of white students have received at least one dose. And 81% of black students have received at least one dose. If they're receiving at least one dose, we can make the assumption at those high percentages that approximately, what, 15% of all college students filled out exemptions, potentially? And we have to assume that of that 15%, there was a percentage that probably just said, F this, I'm out of here. And they just unenrolled, didn't even bother with the exemptions. That's probably hovering around 2%, maybe 1%. But of those, let's say, 15% that filled out the exemptions, so that's the number we're running with if we're curious, based on these statistics, assuming that these are accurate, unless this is some kind of a propaganda piece in order to encourage people to take more shots, even though these are rather high. Um, we're looking at, again, approximately 15% of people who filled out exemptions. Of those individuals who filled out exemptions, we can assume that less than half were accepted. So we can arrive at a number like 7%, 6% or less of all exemptions at the college level among college and university students were actually accepted. But that's only because, unfortunately, we can assume that 15% filled out the exemptions, whereas the rest just went along with the entire JAB protocol. There's more charts in this document. Um, one specifically has to do with the reasons for not getting the COVID-19 vaccine, and this was among unvaccinated college students. It says 71% are not convinced it's safe. So again, these are among the 15% then that, that essentially didn't take it. It says 15% of college students are unvaccinated. So of that 15%, 71% of them said they're not convinced it's safe. 54% of them said 
not convinced it's effective. 40% said they didn't think they needed it. 35% said they already caught COVID-19. 21% against religious beliefs. 19% not worth the trouble. 17% family friends don't want me to. 3% healthcare provider recommendations. 2% unsure where or how to get jabbed. And then 13% was the other category. And that included, again, doubts of safety and long-term studies, and I'm sure a thousand other reasons. But here was another one. Here were two more, and this had to do with boosters. This particular first chart is titled, Reasons for Not Getting a First or Second Booster Shot Among Booster-Hesitant College Students. So these are individuals who are fully vaccinated with two shots, but they're unboosted. Of those individuals, 50% said that they didn't think that they needed it, 34% said they weren't convinced it was effective, 31% said that they weren't convinced it was safe or, con- or, uh, or they were concerned about side effects, rather, 27% said that they again already caught COVID-19, 25% said not worth the trouble, and then less and less percentages all the way down to other, which was 7%. And then there's another category here, another column, which is of those who have received one booster shot but not two, 57% said that they didn't think that they needed it. So the more shots they're getting, the less they think they need it. And that percentage is increasing. Now here's another one. Again, percentage of individuals who received at least one booster shot among all college students, 58% received a booster. That's three shots deep. Among graduate students, it was 72% of them. Undergraduate four-year college students, 61% of them are, th- are, three, are three times jabbed now. And undergraduate two-year college students, 40% of them are three times jabbed. Liberals, 78% of them are jabbed. Moderates, 53%. Conservatives, 31%. Democrats, 75%. Independents, 56%. Republicans, 30%. Broken down by regions, Northeast, West, Midwest, and South. In the Northeast, 81%. In the West, 61%. In the Midwest, 52%. And in the South, 47%. And then among Races, white students, 58%, black students, 53%, and Hispanic students, 52%. These are all people, the percentages of people who received at least one booster shot. There's a couple more charts here that I want to go through, and then I'm going to wrap this up. There's one on here that is titled COVID-19 Infections and Worry Among All College Students. The question is, is have you personally had a COVID-19 infection? 56% said yes slash think so. 43% said no. And then the next question, how worried are you that you might catch COVID-19 in the future? 44% said very or somewhat worried. 54% said not so or not at all worried. Further down, It specifically discusses, again, awareness of whether or not uh, the students are aware of the requirements, and it turned out that not many of them were aware. 
And then it continues again, availability, blah, blah, blah. And then there's this one, which is rather damning. It says, up to date on recommended vaccines, quote unquote, question mark. 87% said yes, they're up to date on their MMR vaccine. 77% said that they're up to date on their meningitis B vaccine. And then 68% said that they are up to date on HPV vaccines. I mean, we are looking, ladies and gentlemen, at a generation of minors or young adults, rather, that are more jabbed than anybody in human history. It's beyond alarming. And this is communism, because they openly state at the end of the document that getting the message across to people about all going along with everybody else for the betterment of the community, quote-unquote, is the safest way forward in this issue and many other issues. It also brought up this particular question, which was interesting, which was, where did you find out about this information? Or where did you get your COVID-19, COVID jab information? 68% of college students said that they heard it from reporting by professional news organizations. 68%. 66% from a healthcare provider. 62% from parents or other close relatives, 47% your college, 38% a close friend or close friends, plural, and 33% information posted by the people or organizations you follow on social media. It doesn't say what kind of information are they, are they getting or are they hearing, but we can assume that if 68% are, re- are receiving their information from professional news organizations, that means that what they did worked. What the news organizations and the communists all had planned with this worked. I'm not sure what else to say. These are disturbing statistics, to say the least. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't spell a, uh, a good outcome in the long run. So I'm going to put that document... Uh, up on the government documents section on my website. It'll be the most recent one. You can check that out for yourself. But it was through that document, again, where you can arrive at somewhat of a logical conclusion as to how many college students actually filled out exemptions and then how many of them were accepted. Approximately 15% probably filled out exemptions and less than half, you can assume, were actually accepted. So, not good. But I will end on a positive note. There is this. Remember last week when I played audio of a news story about the German family in America who's lived here for 15 years in Tennessee and the father of nine and his wife, again, not eight or nine children they have, uh, they were being deported back to Germany, allegedly, because again, they wanted to homeschool their kids in the States. So they left Germany 15 years ago. They homeschooled them here. Uh, their, their deportation has apparently been delayed one year. So that's better than nothing. And that's, of course, better than them being deported back to Germany, where they would be fined and be homeless, potentially, along with a number of other things. But uh, there you go. They said signing that petition apparently helped, according to the Homeschool Defense League, 
and they're still on the case to try to make them permanent residents here in the United States, and there you have it. So a bit of good news in this satanic world of hypocrisy, as it continues to expose itself on a day-in and day-out basis. But then again, that's in the Bible too, is it not? That all things will be revealed, and it's happening. There's no doubt about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I will catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.